0: On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers came out slow and got what they deserved for doing so against the Vikings, falling 23-7 to and embarrassing themselves in the season opener for the second consecutive season. Is it a sign of things to come, or a one-and-done bad performance? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode. Happy to be podcasting. Not really happy at all with the subject matter here, because the Packers... Well, I guess not entirely surprising that they would lose in week one, lost in a way that really doesn't look good. Um, The question, as we said in the opener, is whether this is going to be a long-term thing or a short-term thing. The bottom line here is that the Packers dug themselves a hole and couldn't get out. As far as this game goes, the question is, how did that hole get dug? And I think there are three things that really, really go into that. First, the offensive line. Second, the defense. And third, compounding little things. First, the offensive line. It wasn't great, and most of it isn't really anybody's fault. David Bakhtiari says that he feels like he could play this week. He doesn't play this week. Elton Jenkins, though on the 53, appears to be a little ways away. Okay, so they're down Bakhtiari and Jenkins. Not ideal, not necessarily surprising, but you go with the combination of Jake Hansen and Royce Newman on the right side to replace them. And I would really like someone from the Green Bay Packers to sit down and explain to me like I'm five, what the what the upside here is with Jake Hansen. Because we've talked about stuff like this with guys like Juwan Winfrey and Samori Touré. The Packers put Touré on the 53-man roster because he's the long-term option over Winfrey. Even if he's not quite as good as Winfrey right now, he's better long-term. He's a better athlete. He's got better tools. He's, his contract situation is more advantageous for the Packers. I think that's a perfect one-to-one comparison for Tom versus Hanson. Hanson, even if you agree or even if you accept the, the Packers' position that he is a, a guy who should be on your 53-man roster. And I think there's a lot of good reasons to argue the contrary there. But even if you accept their position, he is not a better long-term option at any position than Zach Thomas At any position. Tom is a better athlete. He had a better pedigree in college. He's a better player in college. He is a better player than Jake Hansen. Starting him now, I think, is the right move. If nothing else, you're starting the clock on when he's going to surpass Hanson, even if you believe that Hanson is better right now. And I think there's good reason to argue that he probably isn't. The long-term move is to get guys like Zach Tom up to speed. And if nothing else, you cannot argue in any world that Tom isn't a better athlete than Hanson. He's faster, he's stronger, he's got better movement skills. That plays better at guard and at tackle. It's not that Hanson is that much bigger than Tom. He isn't. They're about the exact same size. So if you're looking for just bigger interior guys, that's not it. Why not get Tom out there? Even if you're starting Tom at right tackle and Newman at guard, I still think that's a better combination than Newman at tackle and Hanson at guard, because I'm not sure that Hanson is a real NFL player. That's just part of it here. The defense is the other big part of digging that hole. Now, if you look at the grand scheme, 23 points should get you to a competitive ball game. Most NFL games should be competitive if your defense is only giving up 23 points, and the Packers managed to do that. The problem is that once they buckled down enough to start getting the Packers' offense back into things, it was probably too far gone the way the Packers' offense was playing. That is a big problem. And how they got to that situation is an even bigger problem. If we sat down, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit when we go through some of our bad things from this game. If you sat down and said, where does the Vikings offense run through? If you ask anybody that question, casual football fans, who is the key player on the Vikings offense? The vast majority of the answers you would get is Justin Jefferson. He's the guy you have to stop. And yet he tears up the Packers again. And all of that is just underscored by these compounding little things that add up and add up and add up. The Packers open the game misfiring on a sure touchdown. We will circle back to that at some point here. But misfiring on that touchdown takes points off the board. Coming up short on a red zone possession where you have four plays from end goal to go, that adds up. That makes it a one-score game for most of the second half if you score there. Then you've got things like the third and long plays the Packers had in the first half. So when I'm taking notes of the game, on the game, I make a note of every time the Packers face a third down of seven or long, because that often will be the difference maker between in, in some key areas. If you can convert a couple of those... Um, that can make a big difference over the, over the course of a game. You're expecting, I think it was Nathaniel Hackett who said it early in 2020, that they basically ex- expect to convert third and what they qualified as short. So that's third and six and less for them. Third and seven are long. You convert a couple of those in the course of a game, you're in good shape. Well, the first three third and long plays the Packers had, you have Romeo Dubs running the wrong way. Jake Hansen getting obliterated by Zadaria Smith, leading to a sack, and then Aaron Jones dropping a swing pass from Aaron Rodgers on an admittedly bad throw. One of those plays goes a different way. You're at least extending a possession, putting the Vikings in a different scenario when they're getting the ball back. If things go a little bit better, you might be putting points on the board. I don't have the numbers for the entire course of the game, but that sort of thing adds up and it added up to a game where the Packers end up losing embarrassingly in their season opener opener for the second year in a row. That's the 40,000-foot view. As we drill down a little bit, the way we typically like to do these recaps is start by focusing on three good things that happen. That's a lesson that I learned from one of my college football coaches, immediately after the game, the only things that we would talk about were positive things. We gather on on the field together after the game. It's only positive talk. The reasoning there was that we would have some time after the game, you know, over the course of the next week to correct the bad things. But in the immediate aftermath of the game, we're going to talk about just the good stuff. We're not going to talk exclusively about good things on this podcast, and I don't think that's even the right approach, but let's start with some of the good things. And I've got three good things for you, but we'll also have three bad, as well as some overall impressions on a couple of other things. The three good things. First, I've got to be at least somewhat encouraged by the creative ways in which they got Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs involved. And arounds some creative options, some short outs for Romeo Dubs, which is not uh, entirely uh, expected given given some of his his skill set I think he's more of if I would have just guessed more like the intermediate guy uh, but getting him involved on some of those short outs really I think is going to to bear some dividends down the road going to Watson right off the bat even if it didn't work out I think was the right approach and I would have liked to see more of that stuff I think um and and Matt Lafleur said some things to this effect last season why they've gone away from some play action shot plays uh some confidence in the offensive line is is a problem there uh Surely there were options where, or plays where, Rodgers had Watson potentially down the field or Dubs down the field. I don't think that there were ever really any situations where, where Rodgers had the time and they were open deep. And we'll see if the the film study from the Tape Eaters bears that out this week. But if nothing else, they they tried it early, and they had some options there throughout the week or throughout the game. Second. The real good thing, I think, for this game was just Quay Walker in general. Maybe it was the number seven, really standing out as a defensive player, but he seemed to be everywhere. He was all over the field. The speed was evident. The size was evident. Uh, Seven solo tackles in this game, had another assist to finish with eight, just a couple behind Devondre Campbell. Early returns on that duo looked pretty good, at least against the run. Another thing I really liked about him was very little hit and drag for his tackles. When he hit somebody, they went down. Lots of hits and stops from Quay Walker. Very encouraging to see. I I really liked it. Uh, The final thing that I think was good here, we had a lot of explosive diversity. So if there was a knock on the Packers' offense last year, it's that when you were looking for explosive plays, they pretty much had to come from Devontae Adams. Well, Devontae Adams isn't here anymore, so you're going to need somebody else to either step up and produce in a, a way comparable to Devontae Adams, which isn't going to happen, or you need to get contributions from more than one guy. In this game, at least, you saw explosive plays from five guys. Uh, you, you had Robert Tunyon, had a nice catch and run. Uh, A.J. Dillon had an explosive game, uh, gain on the ground. Uh, Romeo Dubs, I think, had one through the air. Christian Watson had one through the air. And then there was one other explosive play. Don't have my notes in front of me on who it was or the stats in front of me, but there was a fifth player who had an explosive play as well. That is good to see. If you're looking for small silver linings in this Packers game, that is one. The bad, though, and we could do way more than three, but the bad far outweighs the good. First, let's harp on the defense a little bit. Not even harp, just kind of exposit, I guess, on the defense. There was a phrase we used a lot during the Mike Patton era, especially during portions of the 2020 season, and I feel like it really applies to this game as well. Uh, And it was, we always said that Mike Patton was surprised by the obvious. And in this game, boy, what is the obvious thing? Who is the obvious player you have to stop? It's Justin Jefferson. You have to stop Justin Jefferson. And the Packers just couldn't do that. Jair Alexander says after the game, he was advocating for the opportunity to cover Jefferson one-on-one. He didn't get it or at least he didn't get it until it was far too late. And I can't conceive of a scenario where you don't try to make that work. Greg Olson was doing a lot of work in the broadcast booth trying to explain why it's not so easy as just saying, let's just let Jair Alexander cover Justin Jefferson. And I found his answer woefully unconvincing. He's saying stuff like, well, when you break the huddle and you're trying to match up one-on-one with this guy. If he lines up on a different side than you're expecting, then you've got to adjust the rest of the defense to, to, to account for that, and guys have different responsibilities. Greg, these guys are professional football players. They should be able to figure it out. And if you have a guy out there who is as dangerous as Justin Jefferson is, as we can clearly see, why wouldn't you try to make that work? If Jair Alexander is as good as we think he is, and we have every reason to think so, why wouldn't you try him on Justin Jefferson? And if the other members of your secondary, Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas, are as good as we think they are, why wouldn't you give them the opportunity to at least try to figure it out? Yeah, maybe it is a little bit more complicated to have guys, have Jair Alexander track Jefferson wherever he goes. Sure, maybe that is true. But you know what's worse than that? Having Jefferson carve up whoever is against him or across from him while Jair Alexander is on the other side of the field doing whatever it is he's doing over there. Boy, it sure was great that he managed to shut down Osborne and Thielen on the other side of the field while Justin Jefferson scored a touchdown. Those other guys, they didn't beat us. That's awesome. And we stayed true to our scheme. If there's an overarching, stepping back from this, I guess if there's an overarching theme to this game, and I don't know if it affects our overall um, perception of where the Packers are long term, but if there's a theme to this game, I think it comes down to players, not plays. That's something that we harp on again and again and again. You're going to have great plays, you're going to have great schemes, but if you don't have great players to run them, you're out of luck. It's not going to work unless you are the pinnacle of schematic genius. There's only so much you can do with just your plays. Conversely, if you've got great plays and your scheme is taking them out of situations to do what they do well, your scheme is bad and you are a bad coach. I, I don't think it gets much more complicated than that. If you have good players and you are not allowing them to do what they do well, you are not a good coach. You are making bad choices as a coach, and you're holding back your team. And I think there's a good case to be made if Jair Alexander says, I wanted to cover Jefferson one-on-one. I wanted a shot, and he didn't get it. Who does that point back to? I know that Joe Barry comes from a good schematic background, and I know we have good reason to trust the scheme, given what we've seen it do elsewhere in the NFL, But if your scheme is leading you to do stupid things, it's a bad scheme. And if you are trusting your scheme more than your players, you are probably a bad coach. The second big problem here is the offensive line selection. And again, I would like to hear some justification on the right side here. Let's dig into Jake Hansen a little bit. Do you know that Jake Hansen hasn't played that many snaps in a game that matters at a position other than center since high school? Never in his life has he played that many snaps in a game that counts since he was lining up against teenagers. Hansen starts at guard in an NFL game today having never done so in his life before. How does that make him a better option than one of your draft picks? We know Sean Ryan has had some trouble coming along here. We know that Zach Tom is a rookie. But if your cards are down between the guy that hasn't played in the NFL and the ha- guy who hasn't played in the NFL, why, why that guy? We need a better case than just he's been in the room, been in the building for a while. We've, he's, he's done some good things that we like behind the scenes. That's not a good enough case. Hansen was exclusively a center in college and played tackle in high school. Guard has not been a thing for him at any point. It's a new deal for him. He's done some stuff like that in Green Bay, it's for sure. But now the Packers are are banking on him as a starter. It's, I just, we need more of a case than we like him. Newman, to me, was a more serious option. Royce Newman had his struggles last year, but relative to Hanson, he's got a thousand NFL snaps at guard. Hanson does not. I think Tom was clearly best one of your best five. Put him out there. Figure it out. And I think there's reason to be concerned about the selection process, picking your best five in tough situations like this. They've had some success, sure. The 49ers game last year in the regular season comes to mind. They figured out a way to make that work with some suboptimal some opti- some uh, situations out there. They were missing Bakhtiari and Jenkins for that one, too. They figured it out. But... Look back to the divisional round game. They went with an offensive line configuration they've never used before. All right. And it didn't work out. The previous year, you can actually point to that a little bit too, but there are some weird... Weird stuff going on there. And just to rewind, there, 2020 NFC Championship game tackles were a problem in that one too. You've got Billy Turner, who's beat up in that one at left left tackle, and you've got Ricky Wagner at right tackle. Wagner wasn't supposed to be out there; it was supposed to be Jared Veld here, but he got COVID. Thems the breaks. And it, David Bakhtiari was supposed to be out there too, but um, you know he tore up his ACL just before the playoffs. That happens too. This is an entirely different thing. This is your Having an entire training camp to evaluate these guys, and then you end up with this. And Zadaria Smith beats up Jake Hansen on a key third down. Finally, and this is a it's one game sort of thing, but to Sammy Watkins and Amari Rogers, what is it you say you you would say you do here? Because between the two of them, they finished the game with three targets, three catches, and eighteen yards, and all of them came from. Sammy Watkins. Amari Rodgers finishes with no targets and no carries because I guess you got to keep your number three running back fresh for some reason. Broader point this was the 14th time in 18 career regular season games that Amari Rodgers had neither a target or a carry. Third round pick in 2021. Cannot find a way to make an impact on the offense, no matter what position you're lining him up at, I I guess. We could go on here. There are so many other smaller things here. Um, the Packers weird tendency towards pulling out both of their top edges at once, leaving you with Jonathan Garvin and who knows who else out there. Um it's it's rough. Um it's it's a rough choice to to do that. And it just shows the lack of depth behind Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. Gary's sacked today, by the way, super impressive. Uh, just the the power that he has, you're going to see more more of that this season. If you want something to be positive about, there were a couple frightful pass rushes from Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark. Just so good. They're so good, and they're going to be fun to watch at times this year if you want to be positive about something. So back up to the 40,000-foot view. What does it mean? I have no idea. I have no idea what to take out of this game. Because on the one hand, I think you could make a pretty strong case that this is a sign of bad things to come, at least for the short to midterm. The offense overall is going to need some work. This receiving room is going to be young all season long. And if Aaron Rodgers can't trust the receiving room until who knows when, well, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a growing process. We also don't really know when David Bakhtiari is going to be back. And if you are tired of playing the game, I get it. Uh, and there's so much we don't know about why he's still not playing. He's saying it's not the knee. He's saying he didn't have a setback recently. Then what is it? We don't know. And from reporting from Ryan Wood pre pregame, it sounds like it may not be next week either, which, you know, there's kind of a side point here. It makes me wonder why the Packers were bothering giving him team snaps in preparation for week one if they knew that it probably wasn't going to be until week three. That seems like a problem. Related, the defense still figuring things out. It's going to be a while before they figure it out. Putting the pieces together is a process. They've got some new pieces. They've got some old pieces playing different roles. We've got to remember that Jair Alexander wasn't around with Eric Stokes and Rasul Douglas for most of last season. He played a grand total of one game with Rasul Douglas last year. Because Douglas didn't come along until after Alexander was gone functionally for the year. All three of those guys now, in in a way, playing new roles. And putting the pieces together is going to be a process but I think the secondary is too talented to be this bad all season long. But on the other hand, if we're trying to be positive, if we're saying this is a one-game thing, they were down some game-altering pieces in this one. The tackles obviously are a huge deal. Alan Lazard, while not like a game-breaking, you know, 1,500-yard, eight-touchdown, 100-catch receiver, he's a guy that Rodgers trusts. He's a guy that is going to be in the right spot. He's a guy that contributes for the Packers in the run and in the passing game. Key blocker in a lot of running situations. And he's another guy that the Packers can trust on third downs. When you're in those situations where, as the great Dusty Evely says, when you got to have a guy who can get a bucket, Lazard for the Packers is a guy who can. Outside of that right now, I don't think they've got anybody else who I think the Packers would really trust to get a bucket. I mean, Randall Cobb did a couple times today. On third and four, he he got open for a short gain there. On those third and intermediate, third seven plus, I'm not sure he's your guy. And I'm not sure outside of Alan Lazard, they really have a guy right now who can be, or that Rodgers would trust to be. Next up, though, is the Chicago Bears, who come off a week one victory to return, Oh, well, to visit Lambeau Field for Sunday night football. The Bears did, like I said, win in week one. They outlasted the 49ers during a monsoon of sorts in Chicago. Equinemius St. Brown scored a touchdown for the Bears. Good for him. Justin Fields had a bit of a rough time, like 8 of 17 passing. Not great, but it was torrential rain. A lot of weirdness going on and, and weather like that, so who really cares? We'll close out this podcast with just a couple of observations, just some some random kind of one-off sort of things, including I'm very proud of this last one here. Uh, It's something that you will hear about Randall Cobb that I just about guarantee you're not going to hear anywhere else. There's a little tease. First up though, it's now been 10 quarters since Aaron Rodgers threw a touchdown pass, counting the divisional round playoff game. He had zero in this game, zero in the divisional game, and he didn't play the second half of week 18. That adds up to 10 quarters. Nice to see Robert Tunyon out there. His athleticism helps in the passing game. They have nobody else like him at tight end, uh, though Tyler Davis was out there quite a bit today. Uh, had a couple nice blocks, um, though. What do we really see on the on the TV copy anyway? I do wonder if having guys like Tunyon and Cobb will actually hurt the offense for weird kind of reasons. Though, it might be a net negative to have guys that Rogers likes out there on the field because he's just gonna lock in on Roger on those guys, and that's probably going to hurt the offense overall. It wasn't how I wanted to see Zach Tom get out there, but I want to talk about that drive for a second. I don't think it's a coincidence that Tom got out there and things took off on the ground. I think his athleticism is undeniable. I think, again, he needs to be out there. If he's out there at the cost of John Runyon Jr., well, maybe not. But if you can get him in the mix among the, among the five guys you have out there, I think it needs to happen. I don't want to dwell too long on the um, Christian Watson drop, but I will just say that I don't know if I've been sadder about a single drop since Jordy Nelson dropped what looked like was going to be a sure touchdown against the Buffalo Bills on the road during the 2014 regular season. Packers had a rough day that day too on offense, ended up losing that game. And if Jordy Nelson catches that touchdown, the Packers are probably hosting 2014 season NFC championship game instead of playing in Seattle and we all know how that turned out we track ball Hawks as a as a kind of just side project here at blue 58 in the power sweep um, this was another loss where the Packers had very few plays on the ball it doesn't happen very often where you're getting your hands on the ball frequently and it's um it's things aren't going your way Ball Hawks, uh, for those who don't know, are any play on the ball. So a sack, an interception, a pass defensed, or a fumble forced. The Packers had just two today. Rashawn Gary had a sack, and Adrian Amos defended a pass. That was it. And Kirk Cousins, credit to him, is really good generally at keeping the ball away from the defense, even in, in games where he's not like throwing interceptions and stuff like that. He generally doesn't give you a lot of chances to come up with sacks or passes defense. Risk-averse quarterbacking can be a, a really good thing sometimes. Finally, just to close out, and this is kind of a, a fun one, but uh, Randall Cobb was credited in uh, in this game with a tackle, and it was just the second time in his career that he was credited with a, a tackle in a game. The first came in a game against the Vikings in 2011. What a coincidence, also against the Vikings. A 45-7 win against the Vikings during that regular season. Cobb muffed a punt and fell on the guy who recovered it. Ipso facto, a tackle. He also had an 80-yard punt return for a touchdown to pretty much open up that game. The Vikings went three and out, punted to Randall Cobb. 80-yard touchdown or punt return for a touchdown and that's kind of how things started off there and really pretty much continued that way too wish it would have been the case for today how how wild would it have been to see Randall Cobb scoring a big long touchdown in this game maybe we'll get to see something like that this season um but yeah that's really all I've got for you in this game tough tough opening for the the 2022 regular season for the Packers I think there's reason to be optimistic Uh, I think there are some concerning trends here at work as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, if it made you at least feel a little bit better or maybe feel justified in your feeling bad about how the Packers performed in this one, it'd mean a lot to me if you would go ahead and share this podcast with someone you think should hear it. That is the number one way that we grow here. Uh, you getting the word out to other people about the show. And, you know, it just is going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.